So this message for today, I've been sitting on this message for probably the whole time we've had the young adults. And I've been trying to teach it, but every time the Lord will have something else, something else. But it makes sense to do it now because the previous messages that I've taught, if you've not seen them, my name is Emmanuel Mutui. If you go to my YouTube page, just search Emmanuel Mutui, you'll see them up there, the, the previous teachings. But today we're going to talk about our identity. And we've been flirting with this topic throughout the, what, the past month, especially the verse we're about to read right now. We've been talking about it, referring to it, but today we're about to go uh, in depth. So what we'll do, I usually have people read verses. So uh, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5, 12 to 21. So we're going to look at, we're going to go verse by verse, starting from verse 14. So I'll reread verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ compels us because we judged us, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And the first part right there, not, I guess the second part, that if one died for all, then all died. In the Bible, you will see this over and over. Seed. When God created the, in Genesis, he didn't create everything. He created the father and the mother, and then they reproduced. So even Adam and Eve, then we're all here. He always does that. He'll give you a seed. Even when he calls you, whatever he does, he'll give you a seed. And the seed has everything you need. Just the same way if you have a mango seed, there's a tree in there. But if you put it in the right environment, a tree comes out. And so in that verse, if one die for all, then all died. Actually, let's, let me read this verse in Hebrews uh, 7, Hebrews chapter 7, from verse 8 to 10. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witness that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. And what he's talking about, he's talking about tithing. That's not the topic for today, so I'm not going to spend much time. But he was, he's trying to say that you have the Levitical tithing and then you have the Abraham tithing. The Levites had to tithe because he said so in the law. Abraham tithed because he was moved by God to tithe. And what he's saying there, when Abraham tithed, it counted for all the Levites because they were still in him. Because remember, they were not yet around. So he still counted because he tithed, because he's the father. And that is one thing you'll see throughout the Bible, and that's one thing we all need to understand. When God calls you and God does, God does anything for you, he will not give you the finished product. He'll give you a seed. Just like revive was a seed in my heart for a while. And we're beginning, here it is, the, the beginnings of it anyway. So I just want you, and that's what happened actually, even before I move on. Remember Adam, he sinned, and we are sinners because of him. We didn't do the sin, he did it. But because we are the fruit of his loins, or offshoots of Adam, we all under him. And right here, what he's talking about, when Christ died for one, it, he died for all of us. So the same way we didn't do anything to become sinners, we will see as we go on, we didn't do, we're not going to do anything to become righteous because what Christ did. Are you with me up to there? Now, let us go to Romans 5. Romans 5, 18 to 19. So, the same thing I just said. One man sinned, and then we all became sinners because we are the offshoots of Adam. 
Another man did obey God, since with offshoots we all became righteous. Uh, I mentioned this the very first sermon we did here, and most of you are not here that day. So let us go, we don't have to, well, let, let us turn there, Genesis 1.26. And then somebody else go to, that will be Genesis chapter 3, verse. So let's, let's read the Genesis one twenty six, and then whoever has that, go ahead and read. And that Genesis 1 is going to be, let me see. If you have it, go ahead and read it. God said, let us make man in our image, <laughs> in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Awesome. Thank you. So right there, God gives us our identity. He tells us, he's, i got to go back over there. He tells us, let us make man our image. So that was our identity. We were in the image of God, pre-fall. And then after the fall, if you go over there to Genesis chapter 3, verse uh, 19. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So we went from being identified with God to being identified with dust. That is one of the consequences of the fall. We, for, we didn't forget who we are, we just lost who we are. And let us... Let me get back here on my notes. I don't, I don't want to jump ahead. If you go back to verse 15, he died for all. This is in 2 Corinthians. So just stay in 2 Corinthians because I will keep referring back to that. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him, but for him who died for them and rose again. He died for all. And I'm trying to emphasize this point so we all understand this. We, don't, we didn't determine who we are, pre-Christ or, or after Christ. We did not determine to be sinners. We were born sinners. And we don't determine how we became righteous. He did the righteousness. All we have to do is to believe. And when Adam fell from being identified with God to being identified with dust, he's the only person outside of Christ that deserved his fate. Christ deserved his fate because he obeyed God. We just happened to be born. And we were born sinners. Now... Let us go, actually, yeah, Galatians 2.20. Actually, I will read. Uh, this is my favorite verse. I, I'm going to take this one. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and, and gave himself for me. And what he's trying to tell us here is this. Once, because... So far, in 2 Corinthians, where we are, we see that Christ died for us, and since he died for us, he's died, he, since he died, he's died for all of us. Now, when you're in this new life that he, that he purchased for us, this is how we're supposed to live in Galatians 2.20. He tells us we're supposed to be identified with his death because we identified with Adam's sin. And for you, remember in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus was talking with Jesus. Actually, let's turn there. There's a... Uh, there's something here I want you to see. Uh, let me get there and tell you. Uh, this is John. 
John chapter 3. Uh, let me see. <laughs> is that what the title is? Okay. Because <laughs> she has a passion translation. Uh, in verse 5. And Jesus saw Nicodemus. I, I guess let's start in verse 4. Actually, let's start in verse 3. <laughs> Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That just right after there. When Adam sinned and we were born, we were born into the Adam family. And in 2 Corinthians, when he says when he died for all, and then we've seen Galatians saying we have to be crucified with Christ. We have to die again so that we can be identified with Christ. Is everybody with me? Okay, good. I'm looking for nods. There you go. You know like that thing you do at the stadium? I just want a wave of nods. <laughs> All right. Now, let's just camp in second, not second, uh, Galatians 2.20. This verse, I've been meditating on this verse for I don't know how long now, probably almost two years. And in this verse, you get, he tells you what you have to, well, he, he sets the standard of how to live the Christian life. If you want to live the Christian life, you have to be crucified with Christ. First of all, you need to be crucified with Christ so that you can be identified with him. So that you're no longer a sinner, but now you're righteous. And then he tells you, when you how to walk this life out. You have to walk this out by having faith in what he did. And more importantly, not even more important, but just as important in who you are now. Because that is always the biggest trap. We always, I'm saved, I'm saved. But then we forget that, wait a minute, being saved means I identify with Christ and walking that truth out because that is where the battle is. Even in the Garden of Eden, that, that was a battle. God made them perfect. There was nothing more God could do to change them. But the devil came and tried to lie to them, and unfortunately, they believed it. So the battle is always with identity. Even in, when the devil was tempting Jesus, it was about his identity. If you're the son of man, well, duh, he knows he's the son of man, but since he knew he was, he was easy to resist. And all the other temptations, the second and third one, they had something to do with identity. Because that is, once the enemy can get you off who you are, then he got you. Because now you can take you whatever. That's why it's always important, especially in your teen years and now you're young adults, you're kind of coming into who you are. It's very important to be properly grounded because that is going to be the foundation for the rest of your life. If you have the false image of who you are, then like we all know, like if you go to a strip club, those girls, what's the, uh, what's the word? What is the, no, 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 no. When somebody is uh, like an assumption, there's like assumptions, what are they called? Yeah, stereotypes. <laughs> the stereotype is they had daddy issues because what, what does a father do? A father affirms your identity. And when I speak of, on a, of being a man and being a husband, we will talk about that. One of the things that a dad does, and you actually, let's go down this rabbit trail. Might be a good one. Let's go to Genesis 1. I want you to see this. Genesis 2, my bad. Genesis 2, I have to find where it is. Uh, no, where at the end, here we go, Genesis 
And Adam said, so Adam just seen Eve for the, or the woman for the first time. Because remember, Eve was not Eve until after the fall. So Adam sees her, he says, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. <laughs> I'm glad you got that out. <laughs> and then go with me to Genesis 3.20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Adam just gave her identity. That is one of the things of a husband. You affirm your wife's identity. He told her she's, she's part of me. And then he renamed her again, giving her a different identity. And that, when fathers and husbands, our job is to affirm our wives or daughters' identities. Because once that is not there, then you have the stereotype that the strippers are father-daddy issues. But anyway, that's a little side trip. So back to what I was saying. I can remember what I was saying. Notes. This is not my notes. I went off, off script. There we go. If you don't have your identity, that will determine how the rest of your life goes. And in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. That is the first step. You have to identify with his death. And there's one thing here that he, obviously we all know, died to self. We've heard those messages. And when I was meditating on this verse, the Lord took me to uh, Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. Now, we don't have to turn there because it's a whole lot of reading. But Matthew 16, 24, 26. I'll read that part because I'll try to skip some stuff. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world? and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And what he's talking about there is denying yourself or crucifying yourself with Christ. And then when you go and get in the Garden of Gethsemane, he shows us how to deny yourself. And this is in Gen not Genesis, Matthew 26 from 36 to 46. In days when he's battling with, he's right about, he's about to go to the cross and he's just the stress, the weight, the I mean, I don't even know how you feel when you know you're about to die, that kind of death. And he asked his father in uh, verse 39. This is in Matthew 26, 36 to 46. He, uh, he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, is it possible, if it is possible, let this, cup let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That right there is how you die to self. When you... Pray, not as I will, but as you will. And that means, because there's a, so the main attack is dealing with right here, Jesus, his soul is being attacked. Because remember, he was a man. And one thing we all don't like, we don't like pain. So, by the way, back, back when I was in Kenya, the teachers used to hit us. And when I was in fourth grade, I remember this vividly. We just did this Swahili class. I hated that class because I like to speak slang and he had pre he has to speak proper Swahili. I didn't like that. But on the test, I did terrible. And I, I was just looking at my test. And what my teacher did, it's like, it's like an art. It was like a warfare thing. Because the, the worst part about getting whooped was not the whooping itself. is the minutes leading up to it. Especially what he used to do, he used to go down at this tree, cut off the branches, and like make himself a nice little uh, wooden stick to hit us with. 
and because you don't know how it's going to look like, you don't, you just, you're imagining the worst is probably this thick branch. So that moment from the bell rings to Swahili class is about to start, you're like, oh crap, okay, so what do you think is going to come? So we'll talk, we'll talk amongst ourselves. How do you think that stick is going to look like? And I think it's going to be big, I think it's going to be small. So like, we, that was like the discussion. Then what he used to do, our class was like separated by cardboard. So he used to come just uh, hitting the cardboard so you can hear him from a mile away. And then you know it's coming, so you're like all panicking, everybody's sweating. But that was a soul attack because you know pain is coming and you go into self-preservation like, oh man. So what I used to do, I used to have like many shirts, like underneath the uniform, I, had short, I was ready. But then when it goes to the hand, I have nothing. So I used to rub on dust so that it makes your hand less sweaty and a little harder. Not hard enough, but still help a little bit. But anyway, all that was just attack of the soul because you know this is coming, you're panicking, and that's what Jesus was going through by like multiplied by a million. So he, that's kind of what he's battling. And then in that state of stress and all that, that is when dying itself is the hardest because you have to choose what God wants. In this case, he wants him to die over him escaping and just... And actually, that was the third temptation, I believe, when the enemy told him, bow down to me, I'll give you all this. He was trying to avoid this, this uh, fate of his. But because he knew he had to die for us, he went through it. Are y'all with me? All right, let us go to a verse, uh, no, our, our Second Corinthians verse, and let us look at verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. When we die to self, and we are one, as we told in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. So once you're crucified with Christ, you're no longer Rachel. Well, on a spiritual level, you're no longer Rachel. You're no longer just Nathan. We are brothers and sisters because you're one family now. And now, the, the extreme... Well, I said this. <laughs> me, him. <laughs> but in the spirit, now, the extreme, before I even continue, the extreme of this, because in the church, you have, you have two extremes. Those who are too spiritual and those who are too physical. The too spiritual don't, they only relate to each other in the spirit and they completely ignore the natural and that we are in a physical world. And then the too physical, the too natural, they ignore the spiritual realities. That we are all in Christ. We are all one body. And now that we are all one body, our interaction should be predicated on who we are in Christ. And then, obviously, it will be naturally come out in the physical because we talk to each other in the physical, in our physical world. Are you guys with me? Okay. Say it again. Don't call me, brother. <laughs> it sounds just... <laughs> All right. Now, let us go to my favorite verse, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I always like when I heard this uh, preacher say this. When you see therefore in a sentence check to find out why it's, why it's there for. Because therefore combines whatever is before to what he's about to say. And we all know this verse. He's, we, 
if you're all in Christ, you're a new creation. But us being in Christ and walking that reality out is predicated by us first identifying with his death, walking that out in faith. As we, I'm going to read Galatians 2.20 again. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God. Once that is a reality and you walking that out, this is daily dying itself, daily submitting to Christ, then verse 17 can be a reality. If anyone's in, now that you've identified with Christ's death, you're a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, you become new. I'm just going to read these two scriptures fast. You don't have to turn there. Psalms 51 verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin my mother conceived me. And Galatians 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is who we were. Before Christ, before we accept Christ, that's who we are. We were all sinners, did all of us. That, and actually in the Galatians 3.23, the context of that, in Romans chapter 1, or maybe it's chapter 2, Paul is talking to the Jews about them saying that the law was given to them and he, we are the ones who are right, the Gentiles are wrong. And then I believe in chapter 3 of Romans, I could be wrong, maybe they flip-flopped. He's talking to the Gentiles on how even though they did not have the laws of God, the laws of God was written in their hearts. And now, he kind of, this is like the climax of this beginning part saying, yes, you had the law you didn't, and you did not have the law, but everybody sinned. The law did not change that fact. The law just made you live right before God. But we all sinned. And so, if you keep on reading to Romans 23 and 24, 25, it goes on to say, but Christ is the answer. That is a nutshell of that whole section. Now, now that I'm a new creation, we should no longer identify. Remember, you have to die to Christ first, and they don't identify to who, we, who you are. So all those lies that, that we talked about last week, when we had the, the lies that you had and the truth that Christ says you are, all those lies should no longer be a problem. Well, the devil will try to bring them up, but you have to resist them. Remember 1 Peter 5, 7. I believe it's either 6 and 7. 1 Peter, what? Okay. Do you, you want to quote it? If you remember. Ah, let, me, let me see. Mm-hmm. Resist the enemy. Uh, let us, I'll turn there. So Second Peter. James? No, no, oh, that's, that's the James one. I'm thinking about the Peter one. Okay, let me see. James 2 is a, the, the James is a good one too, actually. But let's see. Therefore, this is 1 Peter 5, uh, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the almighty hand of God, that he might exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And then verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And verse 9 is what I was trying to remember. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings and experienced by your, brother, by, by your brotherhood in the world. And even the James, what is it, James what? Do you want to quote that somebody? Because they both, they both say the same thing. 4.6, 6. 
Resist the, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he shall flee from you. And the point there, is it 4-6? 4-7? Somewhere in there. <laughs> yeah, right? But the point is this. The James one says, submit to God. Submit to what he says about you. And submission is simply humbling yourself. And actually, humility, the way we define it in the world, is to put up with something. Oh, no, that's patience. I'm thinking about a different thing. Humility, the way you define it in the Bible is this. Trusting and believing what God says about you. So if God says you're righteous and you say, no, I'm not, that's being prideful. When he, that's why Moses could say this in a, whatever he said. It's like he's the most humble person in the world. It seems cocky, but it was true because God said so. And so when Christ says you're righteous, we have to submit to that truth. And submission means to believe that and leaving that out. Is that the right paper? Huh? Yes, it is prideful to believe otherwise. So, we, we believe God, we are righteous. And then, resist, this is a James verse, resist the devil, because he will come. Verse, in Second Peter, he tells us, he's a roaring lion seeking who may devour. And my other favorite verse, Hosea chapter 4, maybe verse 6, just the beginning part. My people suffer for lack of knowledge. If you don't know what God says, you will be completely devoured. Because, like I said last week, the devil can never go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you because you're in Christ. Christ already defeated him. But what he will do, like he did in the garden, is try to bring miscommunication. And there is this... Yeah, I talked about that, so never mind. I almost got ahead of myself. All right. Let us go to the verse 18 and 19 of Second Corinthians. And it, and it is all from God, who through the Messiah has reconciled us to himself and has given us the work of that reconciliation, which is that God in the Messiah was reconciling mankind in himself to himself, not counting their sins against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Remember when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he told them, freely you've, re you've received, freely give. That is the message of reconciliation that we have. We've received it freely. So when you're sharing, that's when you see those prophets charging you to hear the gospel. I just saw one this last week on my Facebook. I was like, oh, wow. It was like very interesting. I didn't know that still happens. But freely we've received, freely give. The message of reconciliation is this. And before I even say that, I want to, let's go to the famous verse that everybody knows. John 3, 16. About verse 17. <laughs> For God did not send his son into the world to judge it, but to save it. Exactly. That is the message of reconciliation. We're not preaching turn and burn. We're preaching love. And, right? Actually, I was, I think I was on UCCS campus, and there was a dude standing there preaching that turn and burn message. And people just walked by him like, like a fool because, and unfortunately, he didn't know the truth. And the truth is this. Jesus loves us. And that is the message. Turn, come to him because he loves you. And he will keep coming after you until you accept him. It's not hell. I mean, when you're young, that was probably what made you get born again. Because probably Sunday school, they told you, do you want to go to heaven or hell? Obviously heaven. <laughs> what? <laughs> But when 
we're preaching this message, you cannot preach something that's not true to you. It has to be, you have to have experienced it. When I say experience, oh, let me, let me say, this is what I value the most. Did Christ, the Holy Spirit reveal that truth to you? Because if he did not reveal that truth to you, it's just going to be a knowledge thing that you're talking about here. But if he revealed it to you, it's going to be in here. And it's going to be easy. I don't have to force you to come to outreach because when you're just talking to people, it will just come out. And even if you're not talking about it, you're walking it out. They can see it. And that is why the most important thing to me anyway, for any believer, spend time with Holy Spirit and receive the revelation. Remember what Peter was having, Peter and Jesus and the disciples when he asked them, whom do you say I am? And then Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God and all that. And Christ said, do you know, does somebody know where that is? Because I want to quote that right. Matthew 16. Let's see. Yeah, he's Matthew 16. And then Jesus answered, uh, here we go. And Jesus answered, verse 17, Matthew 16, 17. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, Hades will not prevail against it. Now, that verse right there where he says, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail, these two uh, re uh, revelations on that. The first one is the revelation of who Christ is. But the second one is the revelation or receiving revelation. Because, let me explain the second one. The only way you can be successful against any works of the enemy is if Holy Spirit reveals the truth to you. So if it's a sickness thing and you don't believe in healing, once Holy Spirit reveals healing is for us today, then there's nothing the enemy can do. So being in a place of having that relationship with Holy Spirit so he reveals things to you all the time, or not all the time, but on a consistent basis. That is how you build a successful Christian walk. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. All right. Let us get back to our little section over here. So message of reconciliation. Until you receive that revelation, you cannot live it and you cannot teach it. And you're supposed to be ambassadors, and you'll see that in the next verse. To be an ambassador, you have to have that truth in your heart. Remember, he said this in Matthew and also said this in Proverbs. Out of your heart flows the issues of life. Mm -hmm. If it's not in your heart, it's not going to come out. Now, this is a little, by the way, that I saw this and I was very excited. In Psalms, I believe it's 31. Please be 31. Uh, none of this is on my notes. We just we just having fun. No. Okay, there's this verse. It's not Psalms thirty one. Oh, hold on, forty six maybe. But whatever it is, it says, uh, "My tongue is like the pen of a ready writer." Has anybody heard about that verse? No, no, that's in Psalm. My tongue is like the pen of a ready writer. And what he's talking about there, our tongue is what writes on our hearts. So whatever we're always speaking or confessing is what we're writing on our hearts. And I will look for that verse for those who want to know and I'll share it. But 
when, when, you, when you walk in this life with Holy Spirit and you're spending time with him, you're always saying what he's saying. And the more you say it, that's why confession is an amazing thing. The more you confess it, the more you write it in your heart. And then it flows out of your heart into your surroundings. And then you change the atmosphere, you change the people around you. So, we have to be confessing this. That Christ loved us. First of all, you have to confess that Jesus loves me. And then once that truth is bursting in your heart, then you can proceed to, he loves you too. There is a, you can't jump. We always jump to he loves you too first instead of saying he loves me. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on there because we're going to be here all night. 45.1, there you go. Could you read it? My heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. You are fairer than the sons of men. Thank you. That was actually part two. My, my tongue is like the pen of a ready writer. So let's just be cautious about what we're speaking to each other and to about ourselves because that is going in our hearts and in their hearts. Because, by the way, this whole world is built on words. God spoke everything into existence. So our words, that's why in Proverbs, it says life and death is in the power of the tongue. So if you're always speaking death, that is what you're building around you. If you start speaking life, not positivity, but life, the scriptures, then that's what's being built around you. Anyway, that's, uh, that's for free. So let us go to verse 20 of 2 Corinthians. And this, I kind of talked about this a little bit. Oh. <laughs> Andrew. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. At least you're here. So we're doing 2 Corinthians from chapter oh, 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 12 through 21. So we're just going step by step. So verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors of the Messiah in effect. This is a, I believe this is a complete Jewish translation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of the Messiah. In effect, God is making his appeal through us. What we do, what, what we do is appeal on behalf of the Messiah. Be reconciled to God. So that is the message that we are all preaching. Be reconciled to God. You don't have to turn here, but if you're taking notes, just you can write it down. Luke chapter 2, verse 14. This is when Jesus was born and then the angels appeared. You have something? Okay, I thought you had a verse. And suddenly there was, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men. They were declaring that to the shepherds. And our jobs now is to declare the similar message. This peace, goodwill toward men. Obviously, that is not the message that we are preaching, but that is what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He brought heaven and earth together, and he reconciled when he died. Because we were enemies with God. Because of sin, we all know God is love. But because of sin... He could not love us the way he, he could because he had a judge sin. And I believe we talked about this maybe two weeks ago. So that's why you have to do the blood thing. Goats had to die in waiting for Jesus' blood so that when Christ washes us and we're made perfect, now, we can, now he can love us. Now we can spend time with him. And that is the message, what Christ did on the cross. 
And that is why the angels were celebrating because finally heaven and earth can become one. Because remember when Jacob had the vision of the angels going up and down? Heaven and earth were separated because there was a war between us and them. Because the devil, and we will talk about this actually. Not sure when, but we'll talk about this. About the authority and what happened when Adam sinned. Heaven and earth were separated. The devil became the king or the god of the earth. And he talks, you see that in Second Corinthians or First Corinthians? Some in Corinthians, the Bible calls the devil the, the lord of this world. Or the god of this world. But when Christ came, he defeated him. He assumed control. And now heaven and earth has been combined. And that's where you have angels. That's where you see angels. Well, not all the time. But when God opens your eyes, you can see angels walking around and doing their thing. Because now we are one. And that is the message. What Christ did on the cross brought heaven and earth together. Instead of warring against each other, there's peace. What do you say? Peace, goodwill to, between heaven and earth. Are you all with me? All right. First, not first, Colossians chapter 1. Verse 21 to, well, uh, 21 to, somebody else can read this one. 21 to 23. Colossians 1, 21. Andrew, you want that? Wait for the mic. All right. You want me to start at 19 or 20? 21. Oh, 21. You can start 19. I mean, it's all good. I got it all highlighted already. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once, who once were alienated and enemies in your own mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Awesome. Read just that, that last part. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Awesome. I'm going to reread verse 21. In other words, who are... You who at one time were separated from God and had a hostile attitude towards him because of your wicked deeds, he has now reconciled in the, son's, in the son's physical body through his death in order to present you holy and without defect or reproach before himself. That is the message that we preach. What Christ did made us righteous, made us perfect, made us all those wonderful things that you see, I believe, is in Ephesians 1. That's what we tell other people. When you come to Christ, that, that's what he does to you. And we all just become one big happy family in Christ. Now, let us wrap this up on verse 21 of 1 Second Corinthians. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him or in Christ Jesus. I'm going to read that again because... That is the whole point of this message. For him, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Before I even continue, oh no, I don't know, I'm going to skip that part. The biggest uh, fight or the biggest struggles we all have was, is always this. 
trying to make ourselves righteous. That is, a, that is what's always preached. That's all, what's always, yeah, you got to do good. You have to do good. You have to do good. And over time, you do all the good things, but nothing changes because it doesn't matter. If you're a sinner, you're a sinner. Nothing that, nothing that you do will change that fact. And this is, I always ask this, what did you do to become a sinner? Then why do you always think we have to do something to become righteous? Because Christ is the one who made us right. Adam made us sinners. That we, 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 we saw those verses. But all we have to do, and this is what Abraham did. He believed God and it was counted that to him, counted to him as righteousness. And the same thing to us. All we have to do is accept what he did on the cross. That's why the cross is such an amazing message. And just meditating on what happened at the cross will completely change your outlook in Christianity. Because that is what made us be able to talk freely about God. That's why we can walk before his throne in peace and not having to worry about condemnation. That is the message of the cross. And that is the message you all carry forward. That he died, so I don't have to earn that no more. He already died. He already became righteous. I don't have to walk out perfection. I don't have to do anything to be considered worthy. He made me worthy. So it's just our belief in walking that truth out that we have to worry, not worry, focus on. And Galatians 2.20 talks about that. I want to read, I, read, I wrote this and I want to read this part. As we walk with him, we will sin along the way. When we do that, we must remember that my actions do not determine my identity. What Christ did determine my identity. And that is the truth I'm hoping that we all live here with tonight. Christ made me righteous. That's a fact. Nothing I can do will ever change that. Now I, I will sin and all these different things. And he will come pick me up out of that dirt, clean me up with his blood, and keep on walking. I think I, I've heard, uh, what is it called? The, the best thing I've, one of the best things I've heard the Holy Spirit being called, like a, he's the perfect GPS. Because when you derail, he'll just redirect you back. So when you go in your sin funk and you stay in the hill, once you realize the prodigal son moment, you realize, oh crap, I'm wrong. He will bring you right back and you continue that walk. So our identities, our identities from now on, I'm hoping, will always be settled. Christ made me righteous. Christ made me a son of God or a daughter of God. He made me who God wants me to be. So when I'm walking and doing things in life that don't please him, it doesn't change who I am. It just tells me I need to change that and go back and doing what he wants me to do. Amen?